I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening. I'd done this, I'm ashamed to say, many times before, but not with the same ending. I guess I've learned to reflect back on that as a moment when it all so easily could have, could have ended and it would have all been entirely my fault. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Lots of men feel pressure to be the provider, prioritizing our salaries above everything else. Today we're hearing the story of a near-death experience that made one man realize that happiness and success have nothing to do with money. Almost 10 years ago, Philip put everything on the line. He was working constantly and falling into debt. The way he saw it, he was the man of the house. It was his role to provide for his wife and family, but he didn't realize how much things were getting on top of him until one dark and drizzly night when he was driving home from the office. I'd done this hundreds of times before, headed home to Oxford, so fairly late in the evening. I knew that I needed a rest. I felt I was tired. I knew I'd had a long day. And I actually took the decision to drive home. That was my mentality at the time. It was like, I'm indestructible, I can do it. If I want to drive straight home now, I'll do it. So the drive home from Stratford's about 45 minutes and driving down the motorway, cruising home, 80, 85 miles an hour, cruise control, the BMW was yeah, super smooth, super comfy. I'd done hundreds of thousands of miles in that thing. It was like, a, like my second home. You know, when I slipped into that, it was almost like getting into bed. I think I had a few moments where, oh wow, did I did I nod off then? Or maybe let's like drop the window down, get some fresh air. I got pretty much to the junction to turn off for home. But then I remember opening my eyes just to see this lorry stopped in front of me and hammering on the brakes. And my heart jumping out of my chest and I stopped within millimeters of the back of the lorry the slam on the brakes I remember a lot of juddering and a lot of smells hot oil and, and, and rubber and then I remember everybody else like other horns from other cars that were around me and and then the look on other drivers faces even though it was dark the look of like oh my god you've just nearly driven into the back of that truck i really struggled to move to the point where the car behind was sounding his horn at me because i was still sort of sat on the slip road i just had to pull over and i couldn't get out of my head the fact that through overworking 
and not paying attention to all the signs that we would normally listen to. I'd fallen asleep at the wheel and if for whatever reason I hadn't of opened my eyes at that moment, I wouldn't be here. So Phil, what happened after your near miss? So several months later, I was at an event in London and somebody I'd followed for, for a long time, it was her event. I'd got a lot of respect for her, the lady's name Shah. And what she'd achieved as a woman in a very male-dominated space, she talked a lot of sense. It resonated with me. I deliberately bought a program just because I knew that that was a way to get closer to her and give me a chance to develop a relationship and see if what I'd initially you know, come across and followed was, was actually true. So after engaging in, in the program uh, and, and being able to spend a little bit more time with her, I, I eventually kind of convinced her that I'd love her to mentor me. And we agreed to work together the next 12 months completely changed my life from working alongside her in the UK, meeting her overseas in the US, the people she introduced me to, the realignment of my values in life, a complete life change from where I'd been and the path I was on before meeting her. It really feels like from the incident you had on the motorway that that was a catalyst for the next stage of your of your life. Would you say that was fair? On reflection, yes. I guess I'm a little ashamed that it took something so dramatic to wake me up to that. Everything that I've achieved, I can link back to immediate aftermath events from that experience. Because I really feel like with my own life, I'm able to separate it into different stages. And there are some sort of pivotal moments where you have a breakdown or you have some difficult situation. I think for me, just breaking down to a, a female friend when I was 29 really then was set the stage really for the next stage of, of my life. And I think embracing my vulnerability. And I think with you, it almost felt like you did the same thing because you went home and realized after that incident, you were that close to dying and you're not an impenetrable soldier. You're not this impenetrable warrior. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, I look at everything through a different lens now. For many years after that, from, from lessons I've learned from Shah, you know, I look back on a lot of things that I do, do now and, and I'm not scared to, I'm not scared to, just follow my own gut reaction to things uh, and not worried about what other people might think of whatever I'm doing or saying or showing how I'm showing up. As long as I feel that I'm genuinely being true to myself. Mm. I'm curious about this sort of feeling of I can do it all myself. I don't need any help. Where do you think that comes from? So after the work I've done, I know exactly where that comes from. So that comes from a childhood belief. Now, now I was very lucky. I had incredibly loving parents. I had a, a really, a really nice, solid upbringing. But my parents were of the generation where you know dad went out to work and mom ran the house, and I'd unconsciously learned that 
that should be my role in life. You know, dad was a big mentor of mine and a massive supporter of mine, as mom is too. But I'd learned my values in life, as I think a lot of us do, from childhood. And the ability to, you know, the, the, the measure of success being money. And I, I don't necessarily believe that now, but at the time I did. And therefore, then the strive to, con- to, to make more money and constantly provide more for the ones that you love. And all of that I learned through childhood. Unconsciously, I learned some behavior patterns that did not serve me well in later life. Mm. I think for me, I've been heavily influenced by my mother in my life and whether it's her good points or it's her bad points, sometimes it's hard to identify what these things are in us. At what point did you realize that you you had taken on this unconscious habit? So that was through my mentoring with with Bishar when we started to unpack, you know, why do I believe certain things to be true? You know, I'd, I'd just never been questioned on it before. So for me, initially, it felt really alien because I was like, well, nobody's ever asked me that question before. I was like, well, what do you mean? It's like, (laughs) is this not just the way it is for everyone? And then just being forced to see things from a a different perspective. The other knock-on effect, which actually was has turned out to be really wonderful, was like a change in a relationship between Polly and I, my wife and I, in that I ask her opinion way more than I ever used to. And she loves that because it's not me being like this big sort of big I am, I don't need any help or guidance or support or anything. To the point now where we just have a big laugh about stuff. It's like, you know, we have a laugh, a little joke. It's like, you know, I need you. I need your opinion. I need your help. And I think I've probably even developed that further I surrounded myself with people and friends and and clients and well I will ask opinion. Uh, I'm I'm cool now. If I don't know something, I don't know it. And and even if I think I know it, it doesn't hurt to get the views and the opinions and the thoughts of other people that you respect to give you different context around the way that your thought pattern may be going. I mean, we've known each other for, what, three or four years now, and you've mentioned Shawasman quite a few times to me in our coaching sessions together, and you've been incredible in helping me with my business and helping me with the podcast as well. I think about a business coach for me, she's called Maria, and she's been coaching me on my business for about four or five years now. And I just feel like she breaks through the bullshit, the male ego that I have really helps me to unlock things to go to the next level in my both my personal and professional life. And it seems like uh, Shah's been that way for you as well. A hundred percent. So I would say that like, Maria calls you out on stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Shah, that's Shah's style. And I'd never been called out on stuff like that, let alone mm. from a, dare I say it, you know, but let alone from a female. Uh, and then to not be able to like mask the response. It was like, if the response was shit, that was shit as well. 
it's like let's cut through this and really get to the really get to the yeah. the nub of where the issue is and that was culturally that was just different for me because i you know i grew up with a with family values that were very that were very different mm. did you have any sort of resistance to working with a woman initially because because the fact that you'd grown up around your the way that your dad was with your mom and it sounds like your mum did the kind of the traditional thing that women would do is cook and clean and look after the kids, etc. Initially, I remember being quite taken back by the fact that I was sitting in the audience at this event and there's this, the woman up on stage and there's me agreeing and thinking, wow, you know, I really respect her. So that was a little uh, a challenge initially, but I forced myself beyond that. I think because of that moment back on the motorway, where it all could have ended in so badly. And I kind of knew that I, I had to change something. I couldn't keep going on as I had been going on. And I'd had male mentors before, but none of them had the same impact on me before working with them than the like the straight shooting approach. And I think I was looking forward to welcoming that into my life um, because I knew that I couldn't just carry on doing the same old, same old. Otherwise, as all habits are, you know, we need a, like a pattern interrupt to, to change the habit effectively. And if I'd have just gone off and got another mentor who'd also be, would probably be older than me, probably grew up with the same values, then I just end up doing the same stuff, right? So it's a fascinating thing when I look back on my relationships to women in a in a work context because we were talking before about our parents and I was saying about how I'm very much influenced by my mother. I would have constant arguments with her growing up, you know, real shouting matches. And I've had so many jobs from the age of 17 up till 21 whilst I was at university. And I think there were about two or three different female bosses. And I would literally have shouting matches with them back and forth not just in their office but also in front of other colleagues as well and i was sacked by these two women and i don't blame them at all because i was going at it almost like it as if they were my mother and i feel like that was that the first stage of my life in terms of relationship to women in a, a work context and then once i started to get to 23 24 and i started to mature and grow up that's i think i've constantly had female bosses and i feel like my relationship with them got a, a lot better i stopped the arguments and stopped the the complaining and and whatever and fortunately i've not been sacked by a woman since or a man for that for that matter but it, it's interesting how it goes through sort of this immaturity stage at the beginning and then it's now the maturity stage afterwards and respecting women more and, and you know, working with Maria, not just Maria, but other amazing women that I've worked with in a, in a work context as well. Have you had something similar to that where you've had those, that kind of immaturity stage and then maturity stage with women? Well, I think for me that was, I've always been a little bit more of a like a, I guess, a milder character. And if I don't want to tolerate something, I just take, uh, I, you know, historically, I would take myself out of the situation before coming up with any sort of confrontational element. So from my side, what Shah as a single mom immediately started to reshape my thinking 
around what it means to be a businesswoman, what it means to be a successful woman, what it means to be a single mom that can still go on and achieve things. And because I'd got a lot of respect for everything that she'd achieved, I think that rapidly matured my thoughts around the female role model that I'd got previously to be to that, which was my mom, through to Polly, my wife, who who is a, is a working woman, which I love, to, you know, Shah as a single working mom. It, yeah, there was a big shift from the initial sort of immature, what I consider it as now, immature vision of the housewife no disrespect to my mom she was an awesome housewife and, a, and and is an awesome mother but then how how women can play a role not just doing that role but also um adding a powerful dynamic to to the workplace that i think is essential for for every business to have a really balanced human values ar- around respect equality opportunities for everyone no matter of their sex race religion beliefs i just wouldn't have talked that way at all 10 years ago we'll get back to the episode in a second before that i just want to say if you think this episode would be useful to a friend send it along you never know it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today and now back to the show. Mm. It's like, why, why do those things matter about gender and race and all these things? It's you're a person, I'm a person, and these are people as well. But there's still those invisible forces still at play nowadays, even though things are getting better. You know, you look at the gender pay gap, for example. It's an awful situation. And I think it's largely because a lot of people, I feel, grew up in a similar world as as I grew up in, you know, where where the mother's role was was a different role. And I think generationally, it's going to be fascinating, I think, for the, you know, the 20 and 25-year-olds of today to move through to, you know, sort of, you know, I'm 48 now, to move through in another 25 years' time, have another generational thing, because then I, I feel that women, are, you know, or, or People that that look or sound different or have different beliefs, you know, it shouldn't be about that. It should a hundred percent be about what can they contribute to a particular situation. Are they the right person to the for the job? Do they add value to to the situation? You know, we should almost be able to be uh, you're walking around with blindfolds on and then then take that sensory first impression away. And just listen to the, the 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 words and and the value that's there, and not have that initial judgment of it's a woman, it's a guy, it's a straight guy, it's a gay guy, it's a it's a, you know it, it, whatever that whatever that might be. We just need to get a much better balance and and listen to people's words and values and beliefs and missions much more than we take the initial visual first impression. Mm. I would say roughly around about two thirds of my of my employees at my company are women, and I've always said during the recruitment process, I don't care what you look like, I don't care about gender, whether you're able-bodied, disabled, doesn't matter which country you're from. 
can you do the job or not? If you can't do the job, then I'm not going to hire you. But if you can, then, you know, I do it based on meritocracy. And I think that's the way it should be. But there's still, like we said before, still are invisible forces at play. And hopefully we're, we're starting to go in a, in a you know, in a more positive direction with this. You've, you've got employees in Philippines, for example. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a very, a very mixed team from gender to location to cultural beliefs to religious beliefs a very diverse team but again i have built that team in the last five years with a completely different set of beliefs than i had you know eight nine years ago Mm. Mm. it's the single biggest change in my life but one that i'm I'm incredibly grateful for, even though it was nearly so disastrous, I wouldn't change anything because I can link a lot back to the the immediate kind of like wash out from that event and how it changed the way I think and the people I'm prepared to listen to. A lot of it I can link back into the three, six months that followed that, that event. Mm. When I look back on my life, I can't imagine not having the amazing women that I had around me in my life. And I don't know what kind of man I would be today. What about yourself? What what kind of man would you be if you didn't have your mother, Polly, Shah Wasmond, all of these amazing women? And a lot of amazing clients as well that I've worked with over the years have been, been women. Genuinely, I think I would be a lesser person by a considerable margin. I feel much more rounded, much more content and much more happier deep down in myself that I genuinely will listen to people for what they're the value they're contributing and and not for any first impression. You know, I've got mates that are, you know, I've got uh, gay mates that get that got married in Australia a couple of years ago. 10 years ago I would that would not have been on my that would not have been on my radar to do that. And Polly, my wife, reshaped my thinking as I've been become more receptive to it. It's reshaped my thinking around all that kind of stuff uh, that originally, as a you know, as a middle class, you know, white male growing up in the centre of England, in a you know, not massively wealthy, but in an incredibly comfortable male white environment or just wasn't challenged that way in younger years and i think that was a great shame that it took so much to make me reassess my values and 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 a lot of the things in in my life Mm. the town i'm from atherton in greater manchester is predominantly white you've got bolton next door which has a, a big pakistani community but it's very much working class white and I I say to some people all the time, I can't imagine anyone coming out as gay in in that particular town. They would have had so much abuse, whether it was physical, whether it was verbal. Yeah, and and how old are you, Alex? 35. Yeah, so there's 13 years between us. And still 13 years later, like half a generation Mm. later, you know, you still have the same, same sort of experience that I had at school. Like nobody... Nobody at my school would come out as as gay, but the I'm I'm sure now if I went to a school reunion, there would be you know gay guys and gay females uh, there. 
Um, but at the time, uh, you know, we were, I was growing up and going through school in the like 80s and early 90s. Nobody did that. Nobody even talked about it. I- I'm so pleased that society's moved on and, uh, and is much more receptive to it now. I know it's got a long way to go. I want to finish just by asking you something that you told me before we started recording. That was your addiction to money. You speak to a lot of men and they do have this addiction to money. And I suppose this kind of constant striving for money and with it comes power as well. And these are traditional forms of masculinity and what is deemed to be masculine. Where does that addiction come from and and why was it important to you? So originally the the and again, this was done with the very best intention in life, but I know totally where it came from. In that growing up, we worked for stuff. We were made to work for stuff, you know, even if it was just like, you know, mow the lawn and you can have a, a quid and then cycle down to the shop and do whatever or wash the car or money has never been gifted, was always earned. And I totally get why mom and dad did that for us as children, because I think we very quickly learned the value of money and not to take anything for granted. And the more we worked and the harder we worked, the more we got. And therefore, you know, the more we got, the the more you want and you live into that lifestyle, don't you? So I know where it came from and but it was it was done very much with love and care and wanting to set us up the right way in the world. I've never smoked, I've never there's lots of addictions that others have that I've been fortunate to avoid. But the money the money became an addiction because from such a young age it was always instilled in us that if you wanted money you needed to work for it so from a place of love i took it nothing about my parents i took it to a place of extreme but in such a over such a period of time that's probably such a gradual gradient that i just continuously lived into it so for me it was not a shift I had the same situation from the age of 10. I remember asking my mother for money on the estate that we lived on. And she said, no, if you want money, you're gonna have to work for it. And I was only 10 years old. So I went along to the local paper shop and asked about being a paper delivery boy. And they said, well, you need to be 12. I said, well, I am 12. And they didn't ask me for any birth certificate or passport or anything. So I started delivering newspapers and making about one pound 50, one pound 40 a day. And then just became obsessed with that and waking up at 6 a.m. And I think I've got a lot, I can credit my work ethic to that particular stage in my life. So it was that obsession with money that then led me into other other jobs and then starting my business and, and having that addiction there. So I think that addiction is, it can be an everlasting thing if you don't break it. I think from my side, the addiction came probably in my in my 20s when you strive to want to do things to to be seen at certain events and to you know to 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 be able to go out and do what you want to do and not be the one that that couldn't afford amongst your mates that couldn't afford to do something i'd sacrifice everything else so that i wasn't the one that couldn't afford to do something and as i went through childhood and growing up and you know got 
other jobs that just became more and more of a just so gradual but I recognize it now as an addiction but I I mean I 10 years ago I didn't I just thought it was what I did you know for me it was always like well we've got to go out and we've got to go here we've got to do that and, and it all took money now I cherish different things a lot of things now don't cost a penny you know games night in at home and all that sort of stuff you can have a lot of laughs and a lot of belly laughs doing stuff like that that i'd have never have thought about doing as a you know 10 15 years ago some of the best things that i do in my life don't involve any money it might just be going for a walk or something like that i think a lot of kids now kids i come across especially my little brother when he was when he was young everything he wanted to do was expensive but actually taking a football to the field playing football with him didn't cost anything. And I think he started to realize that as he got older. And I think a lot of the other kids realize that when they get older as well. Do you find that there's been a shift in, in your values then over time and what you, so what give, what makes you happy? Yeah, I think definitely my values have shifted. And I think it's like we said before, it's the, the different people you have in your life. I tried to align myself to people who are older than me as well because they've got a lot of wisdom that they've gained over the years and I'd rather learn from someone else's mistakes rather than make those mistakes myself. I think I had this sort of feeling for many years of Atherton Alex, as I, as I called him, is even though I was, I've not lived in Atherton for many, many years, I still had this sort of mentality and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with that, but I'd changed and grown and evolved a lot you know i've lived in lots of different countries so i was still kind of walking around with that sort of image and that mentality so i think that's taken a lot of work on my on myself whether it's meditation whether it's speaking to a counselor whether it's traveling all these things to really shift that and working on my business as well so i think that's definitely played a, a massive impact how about you i remember being in naples uh, in florida with shah and I remember she asked me to define happiness, you know, what makes you happy. And my first stab at it was absolutely awful. You know, all the materially type things and none of the, you know, none, not, no emotional elements in there at all. Um, and I remember she just cold hold told me that that was just total bullshit and kept me going, like kept me going till I just got under, under the surface. And actually, you know, what really deep down what makes me happy, a lot of it has no material value at all. The taking the shift away from what society tells you as a man that makes you successful and, and therefore should make you happy. I think we should constantly all be challenging that. And I'm not saying that that is all wrong, but I think the revelation I had was working out my version of what that meant to me and making sure that I wasn't just carrying a load of unconscious societal beliefs around what happiness should be and therefore where I should be and what I should be doing uh, and just making sure that it's constantly true to myself and, and what I want out of my life. Phil's story made me reflect on my own journey and the way I've been in the car as well. Because in roughly 2007, 2008, whilst I was at university, I was just desperately trying to get a 2-1 degree. I'd not had a good second year, didn't get a good grade. And so I was pushing it as far as I could. I was working throughout the night in the 24-7 computer lab. And in the mornings I would submit my assignment and I would then drive home with no sleep. It's crazy to think when I look back 
on how reckless I'd been in the car, thinking I could drive throughout the night without having any sleep at all. On the motorway on the M6, it could have ended really badly. I think sometimes as men, we do crazy reckless things in order to achieve whatever it is we want to achieve, and whilst putting everything else last. How many times in our lives do we put pressure on ourselves by chasing money and putting material possessions above everything else? We don't usually hear about women being mentors for men. It's not necessarily talked a lot about in the media either. Is this a taboo for men? And is it humbling for men to be guided by a woman? And if so, why? I also happen to have a female business advisor in my life. Her name is Maria. She's fantastic and helps me in so many ways. And it's not necessarily just about business either. She helps me in all areas of my life. I know that I can always pick up the phone when I need to speak to her. And that's something I really value. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, the Man Quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable and dependable in all your relationships. Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.